Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's the Underpowered Hour on this week's show Inside the Grenadier, the Tomb Raider Defender, Rover Faux Paws, Truck Bedliner Edition, Bush Tucker Man, and Keeping Your Land Rover Cool Under the Heat Dome. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Stephen Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about my cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or check us out on Instagram at the Barris Collection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thanks to everyone joining us today. I'm the bias ply to Stephen's radio, the unsynchronized crash box of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online, Facebook, and Instagram at Pangolin 4x4. All right, Stephen, let's get started. All right, Ike, in the news this week, uh, I'm sure you've seen it as you are uh, the founding member of the uh, Ineos uh, Grenadier uh, fan club here in the United States, that they have finally (laughs) uh, released the uh, highly detailed photos of the interior uh, of what looks like a uh, a German uh, anti uh, you know anti uh, aircraft uh, missile battery from the 1970s. Um, what do you think? What do you think of the uh, of the airplane like the the military like? However you want to however you want to describe it interior. Well, uh, I don't know that there are any uh, U.S. fan club members because um, well, I don't think this is a vehicle that's going to come to the United States more than likely. Well, that's why the fan club is so important. It's important <laughs> to show that support, and uh, I think they appreciate. I think, uh, I think. Uh, what what is the owner's name? Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, I think is a big. Uh, he's a big fan of yours specifically, and the work you're doing with the club. I think is very important. Who isn't? Who? So uh, I think my for all kidding aside, I think the uh, the interior of this Land Rover reminds me of the retro radios that they used to sell at the sharper image back in the 90s or early 2000s with the little switch guards and uh, you know sort of the clunky purposefully clunky yeah. switches and uh, and retro looking switch gear um i think it had kind of that feel mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. um it uh, i think it was it was generally more appealing than i thought it would be Mm-hmm. Um, I think it still has that kind of like Eastern European sort of Slovakian Land Rover <laughs> knockoff. Like, you know, yeah. you've probably seen the, um, the Ievko Massif. Yeah. Who hasn't? Which is, which is like a Land Rover knockoff, yeah, you know, is, yeah. or the, yeah, the yeah. Santana PS. Well, I was going to say that's the one that it looks, I feel like from the front, the most, 
uh, it looks the most like the Santana air quotes defender. Um, I think that's where, you know, they kind of the hood shape, the way that it has the two lights with the smaller two lights in the, in the grill, um, which is also, I think, something that the the uh, that the con automotive guys do is the lights in the grill. I know you're a big fan. Um, it does it does look a little it does look a little body kit uh, in in some ways. Uh, I but, think, but and, I think I think generally it's good. And yeah. uh, you know, Magna Stair, who I think they've partnered with to do a lot of the suspension and running gear stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, big fan of uh, the classic Steyrpuk yeah. products, the yeah. the Pinsgauer, the Halflinger, you know, that sort of thing. So, well, and that's I, uh, that engineering base is the same thing that gave a rise to the uh, the Glendewagen uh, as well. Essentially, it's the it you is. know the, the same group that designed the the underpinnings of the Glendewagen. And actually, the funny thing is, I felt like this feels even more Glendewagen-y now on the inside not just the outside but on the inside with the recaro seats and stuff and with the uh, the saddle leather steering wheel and and some other things uh, like that it, it's starting to feel yeah you know i don't know it's interesting i think it's really cool uh that they're doing something that is just totally out of the you know out of what you would expect from a what will probably be pretty expensive kind of luxury suv i'm not sure how many red cross workers and things will be driving those things around africa quite frankly because you can get a toyota land cruiser for probably one tenth the price of uh, that car um but it's neat i don't know i think it's kind of cool it's kind of cool it no i agree it definitely has some some cool elements and uh you know uh kudos to them for trying to make something that they think is you know more in keeping with the traditional land rover you know, uh, uh, ideals, uh, whatever yeah. that is, it's kind of subjective. There are a few things that, uh, I think it, it resembles, you know, it kind of looks like a cross between an Isuzu trooper and a Galandavagen, yeah, you know, with that kind of, uh, that, that, uh, 30% rear door yep. situation, you yep. know, the, uh, two thirds on one side, one third on the other, um, kind of has that trooper esque proportion to it. And then definitely some sort of German influence to the the body. It the doors sound like they're solid and closed nice. Yeah. I like the little the little toot on the horn on the uh, the two the little toot. toot horn button. I think that was probably my favorite part is the little toot horn button. It's for the for when you want to do a friendly, a friendly honk. For those toot. of you that haven't just seen it, yeah. and it actually says "toot", toot. on it the says button, toot on it. Yeah, Which, so. I mean, I, you know, being uh, having a six-year-old uh, at home, um, we're talking about toots constantly. I mean, it's a, it's an almost <laughs> constant dialogue. So I haven't shown her the toot button on the horn yet, uh, or on the steering wheel yet. But I can only imagine how she will delight with. And it also looks like it could be a grenade launcher button, like it's a big red button. In otherwise, it looks pretty serious. <laughs> it's like yeah, you like launching the smoke grenades, or yeah. You know, it's a, I, I think you first have to have to flip a couple toggle switches overhead to uh, you know deploy the grenade launcher, and then you can actually press the button to to actually fire the them. Friend the friendly horn so yeah for those of you that haven't seen it there's a there's a large horn press in the center for like an apparently an angry or a serious honk and then there's there's a tiny little toot button on the steering wheel (laughs) wonderful it's just ridiculous but i love love it it. i love love it that is that is definitely my favorite part and we should probably note that uh the interior did feature uh, locking differential switches. Yeah. And it also featured um, auxiliary switches that you can add 
you know, various electrical accessories too. Um, so that, uh, you don't have to butcher up your dashboard yeah. with, with all kinds of things. I think, no, I think that's cool. And obviously people are going to buy something like that and they're going to put auxiliary lights on it. They're going to put light bars and, and possibly winches and things like that. So having that stuff pre-wired and I like that the buttons themselves are actually labeled with the amperage that that particular circuit is, is wired to do, which is kind of neat. I don't know how much of that stuff is just the sort of prototype interior, but the fact that they come off with sort of four Allen screws, like you would in a, in a, you know, in the dashboard, it's not called a dashboard in an airplane. I can't remember what they call it, but you know, in the instrument cluster, of a of an airplane where you have almost uh you know kind of rack rails inside of an airplane right where you can put all mm-hmm. your all your stuff and lay it out however you want and if it's you know if it's right hand seat or left hand whatever you can kind of you can kind of lay it out this sort of evokes that but i don't know like there's that giant grenadier panel over overhead i don't know if like that comes out and you can put in like you know, three more rows of toggle switches for whatever it is that you're for all of your anti-aircraft different uh, different horns, yeah, different, different horns, horns. <laughs> a variety different of toots that you can you can pre-equip. One thing that I thought was uh, was interesting that they mentioned at least twice in the video was that um, that uh, this car would be warm and dry. They mentioned yeah. that at least twice, and so we decided for that reason it could not be the successor to the classic defender. Because... Yeah, it's exactly right. If you own uh, a classic defender or spend any significant amount of time in them, you know that the two things you would never describe it as are warm or dry, unless you are in a warm and dry place, in which case it is those things to excess. Uh, yes. It is those things to the point of, it's, of it's parched. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's an arid wasteland in there when it's uh, when it's hot. So yeah. I, anyways, you know, I I like the Grenadier. I would, uh, you know, I would probably consider membership in your uh, club uh, as details. <laughs> of that emerge depending on what kind of you were gonna make the patches weren't you yeah we'll get some of that some of that stuff going the nice thing about the patches is that they're held onto your clothes with four small allen screws in each corner (laughs) and so if you needed to remove the patch to you know so it's a great yeah it's a great feature anyway so uh moving on to uh britain's uh top model for this week uh sort of keeping in theme actually if you will uh of our uh, sort of uh you know maybe overly tactical uh vehicles um a super classic iconic land rover the uh tomb raider defender from the 2005 uh tomb raider uh film with uh, angelina jolie um and that's it was a defender 110 high cap the interesting thing about it is that it was outfitted and and sort of built by land rover special vehicles so that's not what i heard i heard no no i think i heard that um they they told a focus group of 12 year old boys to design this vehicle they were like look we're gonna do this tomb raider car we're gonna have this uh buxom indiana jones character Mm -hmm. driving you know what vehicle is she, is she going to drive right. and this is this is what they came up with this is a combine of like seven 12 year old boys drawing <laughs> what the tomb raider car should be and and you know what they nailed it they nailed it they it nailed has, it, uh, they it nailed has it. more searchlights than uh, maybe any other vehicle ever made um it has a roll cage it has a checker plate like it was going out of style 
of course, you have to have a uh, a woven recovery rope draped over the front of the car, as well as a this has a husky uh, uh, winch uh, on it, camel trophy style husky winch. And, and then like what seems like uh, the thing that uh, holds, uh, you know, like uh, uh, copper tubing and things if you're a plumber sort of down it's, one it's side tubes. of it it's just, just a tube tubes. you got so tubes. Could, so could be a rocket launcher oh yeah you know yeah, could be true. uh d- deploying various gear mm-hmm. smoke mm-hmm. grenades mm-hmm. whatever could just be a beach umbrella it's no could, way to know could be could be one runs. of those trail showers you know those you never are, know those are popular it's, um yeah. And then, of course, in my, one, I think my favorite, and there's so many things, it's hard to pick a favorite uh, thing on this particular car. Um, and if if you happen to be in uh, Mother England and wanted to go check this out, it actually uh, lives, I believe, I believe it might be owned by the Dunsold Collection, but we can confirm that, but uh, it is definitely at the British Heritage Museum, the British Motor Heritage Museum. Last time I was there, it was there. It's neat to see in person. Uh, But again, I think my favorite item is it has a tiny, tiny little rear tub Land Rover badge in the top middle of the roof rack where the Camel Trophy plaque would go on a Camel Trophy car. There's a teeny, tiny little Land Rover uh, symbol there between the the set of four uh, Land Rover branded uh, off-road lights. Seems comically undersized, considering they're building this like a uh, chunky vehicle. For those that you have you that haven't seen it, this is uh, based on a Defender high capacity 110 wheelbase pickup truck, and it has roll cages and it has all kinds of accessories and accoutrements to make it look uh, like it's it's in a video game. I mean, it's basically yeah. a video game movie. Yeah. You know, the video game was very popular among uh, 12-year-old boys worldwide. For and sure. so this vehicle, so it has a V8 engine probably, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I, wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if it does. And, and so they had a camel or they had a Tomb Raider edition, I think, yep. that they made. They did, that's and right. And so they they offered a special edition of this car. And it, it kind of gave rise to or popularize the tactical Land Rover, you know, uh, aesthetic movement. So all of the, you know, twisted automotive and, and the bond car bond one tens that came after that, they kind of all in a certain sense, pay homage to this vehicle, at least aesthetically. And, uh, yeah, if you you wanted to attach, uh, you know, if you wanted to attach a, a, you know, a rifle scope to sort of any surface on your, on your car, this would sort of be the, this would be the motif they're going for. It's got a, it's got a tiny little trailer hitch mounted winch. It's got a, it's got a fuel can, of course, has to have a fuel can mounted to the back of it. And then Mm -hmm. if, if, if memory serves, when I saw it at the heritage museum, first of all, I believe it's sitting next to a judge dread 101 which as you know, my favorite car, um, (laughs) it was, it was sort of covered in uh, camo net, like in the bed was all covered in camo net and stuff as well to just enhance what is already a fairly douchey uh, setup. And then I think there's like a scuba tank on the roof. There's a all kind, I mean, just, just any kind of nonsense that seemingly was laying around. It's a Uh, theme park car. It's like, it's like what you would see at uh, Disneyland or something like that. It's just totally over the top ridiculous it feels very but, jurassic uh jurassic parky like the uh the mercedes but it uh, is yeah i concede that it is incredibly influential among a segment of land rover enthusiasts who yeah. want an ar-15 
embodied as a vehicle. Car. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> and as you mentioned, like the uh, the Tomb Raider edition. Uh, in fact, what makes it the Tomb Raider edition is a ton of checker plating along the side of the car. A ton of checker plating. Yeah. In addition to a roof rack and lights, there's a sort of L-shaped uh, piece of uh, of checker plating along the side, and then there's some sort of, of course, up on top of the wings, some checker plating and some stuff like that. But I think what really sells the Tomb Raider car is an excessive of checker plating. Well, you know, and I should say that I am incredibly biased against checker plate, unreasonably so. Yeah, I because agree. I grew up, I grew up in the Midwest, and the Midwest is part of the Salt Belt mm-hmm. here in the United States, and the vehicles there rust very badly. And so, all of the four wheel drive vehicles that had giant rust holes in them people had covered those rust holes in checker plate. So one of the things, if you were to go look at buying a vintage four-wheel drive vehicle (laughs) that you wanted to avoid, if it was a Land Cruiser or Jeep or Land Rover or whatever, it was avoid cars that have checker plate in it because it's covering up rust or dents or whatever because it's way cheaper uh, to cover that up with checker plate than it is to actually repair it properly. (laughs) So I have this like mental block as far as checker plate is concerned. Um, yeah, I just can't, I can't handle it. Yeah. I, I and I recognize it. that that's a, that's an unreasonable prejudice for a lot of people, but, uh, I, I still, I still can't get past it. I, Some people I don't really, like it they really love their checker plate. They love parts. it. They love it. And speaking of covering things up, oh. we have, we have a Rover faux pas this week. What is it? Well, like I know how there's a such such a long list of Land Rover faux pas that we're working through. Um, as uh, you know, there seems to be no limit. But this one is probably uh, conjointly uh, one of my least favorite things that people seem to do. Again, I think checker plating goes hand in hand with uh, spray on bedliner everywhere oh, on a car. Boy, doesn't it? Oh, boy, boy, doesn't it? Oh, it is boy. the popcorn ceiling. Of automotive coatings. <laughs> it is. It, it absolutely is. Yeah. It, it it covers up all ills. You know, anytime that you got some kind of ugly paint or ugly ugliness, you know, people want to put the bed liner in it and then yeah. tell you it's, you know, for abrasion resistance or it's for, you know, glare resistance. So you're going to do the hood or the you do the inside of the footwells or whatever yeah. they're going to do. Yeah. You know, that's the that's the reasoning behind the bed liner. It's it's a non uh, slip surface, you know, as if there's a lot of slipping going on in the back of the vehicle or in the front of the vehicle. But I think on the hood, on the hood. But yeah. uh, there, there are a lot of bedliners out there, and some of them they they kind of range from like yeah. a almost a, a rubbery, smooth, bumpy to almost like an aggressive, like you know, it's, it's like like sand, yeah, and almost paint. like it's sand, like, like a grip tape or something. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. could you could actually scrape your skin on this. So it, so it kind of runs the gamut. But I think yeah. what they all have in common is they're hideous. Oh yeah, they're hideous and, and used inappropriately. I'll, I'll tell you this much: I have spray and bedliner sprayed into the bed of my of my truck where yes spray and bed liner belongs that's its it home it kind of makes sense there that's where it, it wants sense. to be anywhere yeah. else you start to stretch that and i have seen uh someone who remained nameless a uh what i can only describe as pink i think the goal was red Whoa. but the result was pink uh pink. land rover land rover uh-huh. uh rhino lined uh which is a brand name especially in canada i, I guess it's here too but rhino lined uh front to back no paint oh, on the car brutal this rhino linder 
just went Brutal. went just front to back and probably my favorite feature of that car is the razor blade cuts along the door seams to be able to open the doors because the the rhino lining was just a, a single action mm. where mm-hmm. the uh, the door handles were rhino lined over uh it, it, i i believe they masked the windows off um oh i believe man. i don't know that but i believe they did because you could see through the windows brutal literally everything else rhino lined from front to back in a beautiful pepto-bismol pink which is oh. really it's just a it's a great it has thing. it has all the appeal of lumpy thighs oh, doesn't yeah. it oh yeah it just, just really uh, is unpleasant yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I think my objections stem from not just the appearance though. It makes the vehicle heavy. Yeah. It makes the vehicle harder to clean. Mm -hmm. It makes the, like the, if you do the floors, you know, it's often over the hardware. So it's Mm -hmm. like almost impossible to remove the floors. Yeah. Anytime a vehicle comes in for service or work and it has bed liner on it or around it or near it, it's, it's unpleasant yeah it is it is a it's an awful uh surface i'll tell you though like the uh tool mounts my nato tool mounts on my defender uh those brackets are all right aligned just uh to, to grip to the tools better yeah uh it's too late it's too late no no i think that uh this this is a this is an unfortunate uh product of the the 1990s mm-hmm. people were like oh i'm gonna bedline my pickup well why don't i just bedline the whole thing because it's way easier than preparing a painted surface and painting it nicely and in in a smooth easy to clean finish i think it comes from the school of thought of why don't they just make the entire plane out of the black box material and then they'll be fine (laughs) i think the same folks that uh, ask that question are probably driving around in a pink land rover rhino lined from front to back i think oh man i just feel like there's so many bedlined vehicles from the the 90s that it, it is yeah it's, it's fallen it's out of bad. favor lately. I think uh, when people realize they could plasti dip things or wrap things, I think it's temporary. That, uh, you know, people have now. I've seen far more. Uh, especially this seems to be more prevalent for discoveries where somebody has a discovery with just an insanely bad paint job, a really old paint or whatever. Right. And they'll have that sucker wrapped. Um, and they actually look quite good. You know, they, uh, they look fine and, and that is temporary. If the next owner or, or someone you, you need to replace a panel, you need to do work on the car. Um, you know, you can get the wrap redone. You can, salvage it in a way you know that seems a little more reasonable than if you've uh you know if you've linexed the 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 hell out of something then you know good luck also good luck matching that pink color again you know those things are pretty much hand mixed (laughs) i'm just saying the guy who's doing the truck bed liner spraying probably not a color scientist i bet that you're gonna get sort of i don't know it's hard enough to get a panel painted the same color with actual people who paint cars for a living that's very difficult and they don't like doing it uh i don't think the uh i don't think the linex guy is uh is paying quite that much attention it's sort of well it's black normally so anything outside of that mm, i don't know well let's let's talk about something that we do like which is which is uh a show that is available on the youtube it sure is it is on the tube of you uh yes this, uh a Land classic Rovers. Australian program. Yeah, Land Rovers in the movies this week. Uh, it it is not just 
a Land Rover playing an inconsequential role in a film, rather a Land Rover that I think contributes to the the general oeuvre, if you will, of uh, of an individual. Of course, that individual is uh, Bush Tucker Man. Which Bush Tucker Man is wonderful. Oh my God, it's the greatest thing. And I know for we have quite a few people who listen from Australia. A couple of patrons who uh, who sponsor us on the old uh, Patreon uh, from Australia, and I can only imagine that uh, you know we have some stuff in Canada, sort of like this, uh, where you know there's some iconic individuals that sort of you know scratch the surface of what the Bush Tucker Man kind of is, but I can only imagine what a cultural phenomenon the Bush Tucker man is in Australia, but uh, certainly you can go on, you got to go on YouTube. You got to look up the videos if you haven't seen them. And hopefully you have, it's amazing. Well, for those of you that haven't, you know, you might describe it as sort of a, a, you know, he's a survivalist type of character, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. he talks about a lot of, uh, you know, uh, natural history and uh, indigenous culture and mm-hmm. uh, indigenous ways of living and surviving. Mm-hmm. And he basically travels around in a Land Rover, sometimes with a trailer, sometimes without a trailer. Yeah. And uh, he talks about, you know, his trips and, and the places he's in. And uh, it's, it's fascinating, but also pretty educational. And he's, he's quite the character. So he, you know, catches critters and he cooks them and he does all kinds of various things. And, um, uh, it's from a period before, you know, Steve Irwin and Bear Grylls and some of these other celebrity animal handlers and survivalists. And so it has sort of a, I, I mean, it's maybe unfair to say, but it, it has more of a genuine quality mm-hmm. to it. Like he's not doing that stuff purely for entertainment value. You know, you feel like you're, it's a little bit more legitimate. I don't know. Is that your takeaway? Oh yeah. And, and some of the, th- I mean, you know, he definitely has this sort of like, just, just sort of giver approach to uh, off-road driving where that, <laughs> that Land Rover has, uh, I mean, at least once an episode, there's something where, you know, it gets air, it's almost rolling over. There's, you know, there's plenty of this sort of Australian spirit uh, that runs, uh, you know, very fluidly throughout. I think my favorite uh, character in the whole show may be his absolutely inconceivable hat i think the uh, <laughs> the shape of that hat the the bash if you will if you're into uh, the the uh, the conservation of uh, of uh, hats uh, the the bash of that particular hat is just insane like i'm not sure what the what the purpose is the shape is is amazing extremely iconic somewhere between a turn of the century witch and the pied piper it's just a it's just an incredible an incredible hat it's an amazing affectation, no doubt. Yeah. And I think he, uh, you know, I mean, obviously a, a cultural icon in uh, Australia, but the fact that all, of, I mean, I, I don't know, but a good portion of his catalog, I spent no less than two hours the other night watching Bush Tucker Man videos uh, on YouTube, and you really can't find an end to it. I mean, I... I Every corner I turn around, someone else is sharing some kind of, you know, there's, I'm sure, huge righteous issues uh, there, but well, that's for another time. Um, but uh, but you can get to all of his stuff, uh, or, or at least a very good portion of it, really get a, get a great flavor for it. And they are, they're thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable, really good stuff. Uh, and yeah, he kind of invented the khaki shorts and socks that go just below your knees. Look I don't of know if Australian- he invented that. 
I don't know if he invented that, but uh, if I, you've I, ever uh, seen the Monty Python skit where there it's the Australians and every Australian in the skit is named Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, yeah. It, he he does kind of typify that a little bit, he but it's a uh, it's super wonderful and uh, everybody should check it out. Yeah, I agree. Definitely worth a watch. Super fun. Um, So uh, lastly, Ike, I know for a fact that uh, you are dealing uh, with some extreme temperatures uh, up in your neck of the woods. uh, And that's why you're not in your workshop, but instead in a place with air conditioning. And we here in Southern California are also dealing with insanely high temperatures. So we thought it might be a good idea to do a tip top tech tip heat dome edition uh around uh keeping your uh, series land rover uh nice and cool yeah you know steven and i talked about this before the show and we decided that we should focus on series land rovers because uh it is not possible to keep the coil sprung range rover defender and discovery vehicles cool especially of a disco 2 you think it came from the factory overheated that's right that's exactly uh, and right. overheating they run hot those botch they motors just, are insane they just they yeah. just run it too hot but nuts but you can keep your series land over cool and uh we should talk a little bit about how uh best to do that so temperatures have been warm here in oregon fortunately this week they're cooling off but i've uh, been getting a lot of phone calls for cooling system parts and uh you know people asking how do i keep my land river running a little cooler and so i think uh one of the things that's frequently overlooked on series land rovers is uh you know making sure that the cooling system is complete uh you know frequently the cooling system on on these older vehicles are, are missing important components that helps it cool better uh you know uh, oftentimes the radiator comes out for a repair or a replacement and the fan shroud does not go back in and the fan shroud is a really important piece of the cooling system and it directs and uh, makes the fan much more efficient at drawing air through the radiator and therefore cooling the engine um you know if you've ever used a vacuum cleaner uh and you take the attachment off it's much less powerful than when you put the attachment on and it focuses or draws air through a smaller um area and the same thing is true with the fan shroud and uh, the series land rovers definitely benefit from having their fan shrouds in place and the fan shroud extension which is Mm -hmm. often missing from those Mm -hmm. the other thing i think people uh, often overlook is the thermostat Mm -hmm. you know um if you asked 10 land rover owners what temperature their thermostat was nine of them would tell you they have no idea they've never removed it Mm-hmm. And the thermostat is one of those pieces that when these cars were new, uh, it was often considered to be a seasonal replacement. You had a winter thermostat and a summer thermostat. And so the engine would run at a different temperature. It was, it was often desirable to run it at a different temperature depending on the exterior temperature. So uh, Land Rover Series thermostats, I think, come in a f- three or four different mm-hmm. temperature mm-hmm. Um 77 degrees Celsius is really common. 82 mm-hmm. and 88, mm-hmm. I think, are the, are the mm-hmm. most common. Mm-hmm. 88 is hard to get anymore, yeah. but uh, the 77, I think you can get a 72. So 72, mm-hmm. 77, um, 82, and 88 were the original 
denominations, I guess. Denominations of, uh, the, yeah. Uh, well, and, of and the thermostats are one of those things where people will leave a thermostat in a car forever. It maybe have has come with that thermostats and thermostat the uh, you know the the heat conductive wire that makes them expand and contract the little valve that makes it work wears out and they and they wear out actually I think quicker than people realize. They're not good, especially where I'm from in Canada. Really, really, really cold conditions and leaving the car out overnight in really cold conditions. Um, doesn't do great things for that thermostat. Remember, it's immersed in a very cold liquid, uh, something that's being kept from freezing in many cases by the antifreeze that's in the the cooling system. So, uh, you know, that little heat reactive spring is getting the uh, the crap beaten out of it as it's going super cold, and then it's being heated up to engine temperature, and then it's getting super cold again, and then it's heating up to engine temperature. I think I imagine it's a little milder on them in climates that don't get super cold, so you don't have to replace them as frequently. But still, it is an insignificantly expensive part and crazily enough in series motors it's really easy to replace you lose a little coolant replacing it but it's like it's super easy the defender is. is hard because you you have to the trick is you, you use gasket sealant to kind of glue it in so that it doesn't fall off when you're trying to put the housing back together but the uh, the series lander it drops straight down into the little you know the beautiful little uh you know thermostat housing and it's very easy it's very quick um and it's not you, you lose only a tiny bit of coolant it's really easy to do fun yeah it, it is a it is a critical part to the cooling system it's essentially the valve that opens and closes the cooling system and so it needs to be uh functional and it needs to be um it, you need to use one that is appropriate for the exterior temperatures that you're expecting to see so if you put an 88 degree thermostat in the car or it has an 88 degree thermostat and it's the summer it's gonna run hot especially if it doesn't have a fan shroud or if the radiator isn't um you know appropriate capacity which is Another issue that these cars are having, you know, the original radiators are, uh, they really have uh, extra capacity. They're almost overcooled. They have, uh, at least on the early cars, a five core or five row mm -hmm. uh, radiator. And a lot of times, as soon as those have a leak, those brass and copper radiators have a leak, people replace them with uh, you know, a Chinese aftermarket three core radiator that is not made of the same quality as the original. Now, I understand that radiator shops are harder to find yeah. good ones and radiator cores are much more expensive than the aftermarket ones. So it's really common for owners to be like, oh, uh, you know, new Chinese radiator is 300 bucks and it costs, you know, 700 bucks to recore my original. Well, the original one lasted, you know, 60 years, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So you got to amortize it over the number of years that, you know, the vehicle is going to still exist. And, yeah. um, it's definitely worthwhile to put the five core radiators back in them. They're extremely, extremely durable. They're repairable mm -hmm. and uh, they just last a really long time. The other thing that can happen is that people don't maintain the, the coolant. And right. so the, the uh, water that people put in them starts to corrode the interior of the engine block. Mm -hmm. And then that corrosion turns into, you know, um, clogs throughout yeah. the cooling yeah. system throughout the small ports in the radiator and heater core uh, and so that can really really reduce the effectiveness of the cooling system and these are all things that you can you know mostly check with very little expense and effort 
so if your car is overheating, you know, it's really easy to get one of those infrared thermometers. It's mm -hmm. like 20 bucks at most auto parts stores. And you can kind of check and see if the thermostat's opening. You can check and see if the radiator has cores or um, rows that are blocked with that thermostat, or I'm sorry, that uh, thermometer, yeah, that the thermometer, infrared yeah. thermometer. So if your car's having cooling problems, you know, kind of, it's easy to just look around on the cooling system and figure out, hey, where's the where's the problem? And yeah, it's uh, something that I travel with in the uh, certainly the Defender because again, it's a V8 coil sprung Land Rover, so it you know, <laughs> comes, comes from the factory operating at 210 degrees. Now, I I run oil based coolant in the Defender because we spend mm -hmm. a lot of time doing you know very hot desert driving and the idea of having that way when there's a head gasket leak, it still lubricates. It, the it's fine. Too. It's still yeah. It's all just <laughs> one closed system. Then I just decided to just put oil in the radiator because it's going to end up in there anyways. Why not just start the party early? Um, so you know that way at least it can't boil over and it will keep you know it'll keep the cylinders cool enough that the the engine won't uh, seize in the middle of the desert when you would die if it did not to say that just because you can run that uh, coolant to 240 degrees that you should be running your aluminum blocked land rover at anything over 210 and even long periods of time at 210 is really not good for it so uh so good to, to try to keep that cool and there are things you can do to the v8 motors and and it's a it's a whole there's an entire world of people that will uh that will tell you that they have a a, a solution uh, to that problem but yeah i mean i think another thing is uh the gauge uh in either your multi-gauge cluster in your series car or potentially the standalone gauge in uh your defender uh may be lying to you either oh, the sender the, yeah. you know mm -hmm. either the temperature sender which for some reason i have a a temperature sender from a stage one right here on my desk, but uh, the um, you know the temperature sender itself, this you know little the little the little brass uh, jobby that you know sends out voltage, and you know it's just that. I mean, it gets corroded, it gets you know calcified from whatever's in your radiator, and it can start misreading. It can say it's cooler than it really is, which is unlikely. More than not, it says it's it's too hot, and it could be the gauge itself that is just getting the right voltage, but it isn't actually displaying it correctly. And of course the the workshop manual tells you the voltage that these sensors should be sending and all that. But, you know, a new thermostat sensor is, is tens of dollars and, uh, and not, again, not difficult to replace. Um, and, uh, you know, the gauge is much more expensive. So definitely make sure that you thermometer the whole system to make sure that like, oh, wait, actually it's running at temperature, but the gauge says it's hot before you start replacing the gauge, certainly the multi-gauge uh, ones on the series cars. But another place to look, don't just assume that the uh, that the gauge is, uh, is correct. I have a digital multi-gauge in the Defender that is separate to my dash gauge, and the dash gauge always reads consistently uh, incorrect. Whereas the actual, good to, good to have some redundancy. In it's the, it's uh, like an airplane. <laughs> it's yeah. everything is redundant. Well, again, another you know, gauge because we use the Defender as sort of a you know a desert uh, rally car. You have to you know it's a cycle, and we're not going to stop because the heat gauge says it's too hot. We need to verify independently that the heat gauge is in fact too hot. Um, and the, the uh, earlier we'll gauges have a capillary tube that run up to the cylinder head, and those tend to be perhaps a little more reliable than the later gauges, which rely on this electrical yeah. sending unit. Um, but in either case, it's uh, cheap insurance to get one of those infrared thermometers and, yeah. and check it for yourself. And then you'll know for sure. 
In fact, many times they are one of the things that they give away free at Harbor Freight, which when you have one, you'll know that the temperature that's reading is probably not actually the temperature because, again, the thermometer is from Harbor Freight. So, uh, you know, maybe go ahead. Go ahead and, and, and uh, you know. Also useful in a pandemic to see if somebody's running a temperature. Yeah, you can just kind of, you can shoot them as they're coming <laughs> in the door and sort of be like, whoa, 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 buddy, back back it up, back it up. This is, it's not that kind of party. Well, Ike, on that note, uh, I'm off to Harbor Freight to get myself a couple more thermometers. It has been uh, a slice uh, as get always. Get some bedliner. I'm going to get, I'm going to bedliner my thermometer. I think that's really the next step. And I'm going to put some checker plating on it as well so that I've really got the ultimate tactical infrared thermometer. Uh, Get a little uh, rail on there, put a scope on it. So I've got the most accurate readings uh, humanly possible. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be amazing. All right, Ike. Well, thanks again for this week and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Looking forward to it. Underpowered Hour is produced by me, Steve Barris, and Ike Goss. Consider supporting the show through our Patreon, and when you do, you'll be given access to exclusive content and Underpowered Hour merch. Want even more Underpowered Hour? Check out our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. 